back. I'm your host, Emily, and you're listening to Beyond a Bedtime Story, a parent's guide to children's reading. On this episode, I'll be reviewing a book that has long been a hallmark of children's literature. I myself even know the significance of the book having been read in my childhood, both the English and Spanish versions. So immediately when I thought of reviewing books, this one came to mind, but I was left wondering what really made this simple text so impactful. And that's what I found out on both researching it and reviewing it. So the book is Goodnight Moon by Margaret Weiss Brown. If you didn't already know, this classic novel, Goodnight Moon, simply goes through a night routine. It begins in the great green room, and it really just points out objects that are in the room and saying goodnight to those objects. The characters are rabbits, and it's really cute, has great illustrations. I really love this book. A lot of people love this book. And I found an article that really explains why it has been such an influential book for over 75 years. This specific article that I'm going to be reviewing, it was published by HarperCollins, who's the publisher of this book, for the 75th year anniversary of the book, which was a couple years ago. But this article really explores Goodnight Moon's longevity, and it's the simplest things that made this book so influential that you wouldn't even consider, that I wouldn't consider, parents wouldn't consider, but it has just been a staple of nighttime routines for so long. Even mine when I was reading Buenas Noches La Luna, which is the Spanish version. But yeah, both versions are good. And the fact that it's been translated into so many languages and has found a place in so many different households, regardless of language and place of origin, just shows how great this book is. So this book has long been popular with both parents and literary critics alike because of its simplicity and use of repetitive wordplay. So author Margaret Weiss Brown emerged in the 1930s when the picture books usually revolved around fairy tales that often had a moral message, yet Brown believed that kids would respond better to stories set in their everyday lives. She subscribed to an approach to writing known as here and now storytelling, and that was developed by her mentor, Lucy Sprague Mitchell. So one of the core beliefs of here and now storytelling is that young children were still discovering the world around them and could be fascinated by stories that dealt with simple daily tasks, like saying goodnight before going to bed. And that articulation by the article written about Goodnight Moon is so impactful, yet so simple at the same time. And I keep repeating those words because it's really true. It's so simple that the idea of a goodnight story, of going to bed, of a nighttime routine, it's an everyday staple of children's lives. And yet because it's an everyday staple of their lives and because it's simple, it's so accessible for them because they're going to begin to recognize their own lives, their own night routine within this story. And they're going to be able to picture themselves within this story. And that kind of connection that was developed by Here and Now Storytelling was so different from in the 1930s, the popular fairy tales and out-of-this-world fantasies. And those are, of course, important as well. They're important for creativity and seeing these imagined worlds. But here and now, storytelling does something different in that it brings to life the ordinary. And recognizing the ordinary for a child is very comforting for them. And it invites them into the story. They have a right reading the story, it being in simple language that they can understand, and with a story that 
they really can relate to. And that is exactly what the article calls attention to next. Why Brown's book was so powerful was because it was approachable to young children. And actually, the article states that Brown sought to use language and narrative structures that appealed to kids. She felt that children were fascinated by the rhythm and word patterns of speech. And this is reflected in the repetitive wordplay used within Goodnight Moon. Now that repetitive wordplay is something I actually noticed while I was reviewing the book. In addition to the rhymes that are included in the book, I noticed how speech had a consistent pattern framed by repeated words such as little, a, and, as well as goodnight. And those little connector phrases, because they were repeated and because they started certain lines, it creates a repetitive nature alongside rhymes. So you have two avenues that this repetition and this rhythm is being created by. You have both rhymes and you also have repeated language. And it's this rhythm that lulls children into sleep, which is also why the book was popular, as the article brings up, because of its ability to put children to sleep, because it had this rhythmic, calming quality to the words. So that's also pretty interesting. But what's so special about Brown as an author and what I admire about her as an author, as someone who's trying to write their own picture book, is that she developed her ideas specifically in alignment with feedback from children. Her books are so child-centered because she took the time during her research to consider the child and to tell her stories that would mirror their speech and how they approach language. She actually had a specific research process where she had organized free association sessions with kindergartners, and she would ask them questions such as, what is the quietest and quickest thing you can think of? To which she often received the answer, a mouse sleeping. And that is why she included said mouse in the book, Goodnight Moon. So using the information that she collected, actually asking children and being willing and wanting to hear their responses, it allowed her to craft a story that had objects that she knew children would resonate with, that they would connect with. This really goes to show the purposefulness of creating stories. You may think this is a short, silly story that was done without thought and just strewn together. But the timelessness of the story and how parents and literary critics alike are still on the story, still using the story, shows how powerful it was, but also that that powerfulness was strategic. There was strategy including certain images and including rhythmic speech. And that's something that is so engaging to me as someone who wants to write picture books. But also as a parent, it's kind of cool to look at these books and be like, wow, they hold so much value. This isn't just a simple picture book I'm reading to my child. There's history here, there's strategies here, and it's really going to be an effective tool to not only have my child acquire reading skills, but for them to be within a story where they recognize the language and the objects And honestly, it might even help put them to sleep, which is an added benefit for you as a parent. But that about wraps up our first segment. I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit about the history of Goodnight Moon and Margaret Weiss Brown. She really is an influential person within the literary community, specifically for children. She has an interesting history, so if you want to give her a Google search, I think it would do well with your time. But I hope you enjoyed that little review of the history of the story. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. Now would be a good time to grab Goodnight Moon if you have it. Maybe even sneak in a quick library run to grab it. Because when we get back, I'll reveal specific ways to prompt your child while reading the book. 
Hi, my name is B, and I'm the host of a podcast called Books, Ballads, and B-Roll. In my show, you will learn all about interesting analyses and connections that can be made between various books, movies, and songs. Listen anywhere you get podcasts. My show and this one are proud members of the Hobo Valley Student Podcasting Network, found online at hvspn.com. The opinions expressed in this episode are those of the host only, not of HVSPN or Hopewell Valley Regional School District. Please enjoy the show! Okay, here we go. You've waited long enough. Hopefully you're back from the library run and have good night, Moon, because it's time to get into the exciting stuff. Reading strategies. In all seriousness, if you have the book, definitely feel free to follow along as I refer to specific pages in the book. Now I say specific pages, but my version of the book actually didn't come with page numbers. Yours might not either in that case. I went through and hand wrote out all of the page numbers so that I could have specific pages to refer to. You definitely don't have to do that, but I think it could help if you just want to count as I refer to specific page numbers. So for this first strategy, it's a sound work strategy. It deals with rhymes as well as near rhymes. Some of the rhymes are whole rhymes, such as bear and chair. Those are legit rhymes. Whereas something like room and balloon, those are near rhymes. They're not perfect rhymes, but they're near rhymes. And they're still rhyming in a sense and something that to be picked up on through sound work. But this strategy is to be done after the story is read, I would say. It has to do with sound work and rhymes and having your child identify words that rhyme or near rhyme. The materials for this activity are really simple. I suggest any type of paper, flashcards, something we could have square slips of paper. Because on this paper, you're going to write down the rhymes and near rhymes. Now you wanna match the rhymes together, the words that rhyme. So for example, one of the rhymes is house and mouse. So on one card, you'll write house, and on the other card, you'll write mouse. And you want these two things to be obvious to your child that they're related in some way. So you go about doing this in multiple ways. You could do white paper, but then write in marker and write house and mouse in the same color. Or you could get construction paper and use the same color construction paper for house and mouse. But you want the words that rhyme to be in the same color because you want to associate, you want to connect those two words. So some other rhymes, I'll just go through all of them. We have room, balloon, and moon. We have bear and chair, house and mouse, mitten and kitten, brush, mush, and hush, clocks, socks, air, and everywhere. So those are our rhymes. Like I said, the words that rhyme should be in the same color on that piece of paper or that colored slip of paper. And that way, once you have all of these cards written and you have the rhyming ones in the same color, you can mix them all up, hand them over to your child and have your child separate them by color. So when they see blue, have them put the blue cards together and the purple cards together, the pink cards together. Have them separate it by color and then you'll prompt your child in having them recognize, hmm, do these words sound similar? You'll pick out the blue words, maybe it's bear and chair. It'll be bear, chair. Those have similar sounds. These are called rhymes. Bear and chair rhyme because they have that same sound. So this is a fun way for your child to, one, learn their colors, while also drawing connections between the similar sounds and learning what a rhyme is. Maybe they don't know what a rhyme is. Maybe they do. But I think that's definitely a fun thing. And it's pretty easy, and it goes right along with the story because these words 
are a hallmark of the story. They're a large part of the story. My second strategy is also another follow-up prompt, but this has to do more with conceptually recognizing the objects in the story, having your child be observant about what's going on in the story. Really, the story surrounds all of these different objects during bedtime. There are some specific questions that you can use to prompt your child to think about the objects that they're seeing after you've read the book. For example, which objects do you see during your night routine? What are some things that you see before bed that you did see in the book and some things that you didn't? So you can go back through the book and point out objects that you know your child would know. Familiar objects might be the brush, which is on appears first on page 7, the moon, which is on many pages, but one is page 11, the stars on page 27, and the air on page 28. So those are four objects that your child should be familiar with. So you'd be like, do you use a brush before bed? We see the moon before bed. Do you see the moon before bed? So things that are happening in the story that your child will also be familiar with. And then actually, there's a lot of objects in here that are kind of random, kind of thrown in. There are things that your child aren't going to see before bed. They're not a part of your child's night routine. So you could go back through the story and pick these out and be like, do we see these before bed? I don't think we see these before bed. Some unfamiliar objects are the red balloon, which is shown on page one, pictures of the cow on page three, and the little bears on page four, the bowl of mush on page seven, and the old lady whispering hush on page eight. Those are just a couple that I picked out. I'm like, your child probably doesn't see these things in their everyday lives. But just pointing those out and be like, hmm, that's interesting. We don't see that for our night routine. And simple things like this are just showing your child how to make comparisons. What is similar? What is different from what I experience in my everyday than in this story? And you as a parent, you have all the power and you know your child best. So you know what objects are part of their night routine that they're going to be familiar with and what they're not. So this is really driven by you and how what direction you want to go with it. And also it can be fun. I think if you ask your child, do you see a cow before bed? Because the cow's mentioned in the book, they'll find that pretty funny. Because seeing a cow before bed is a ridiculous idea. But it's engaging their humor and they'll just have more fun in this activity and just think it's this fun game of picking out objects. And they might not realize the educational value of recognizing their surroundings and making comparisons amongst real life and text. But that is fundamental to comprehending a story and realizing what's going on in the story. Another way that we can expand this follow-up prompt is by moving away from the story while still considering the theme of bedtime, but moving more into the child's life. So what do you do before you get ready for bed? What are some things that we do before we get ready for bed? You can ask your child. For example, they may say brushing teeth, taking a bath, and you can give examples. You can help them, and then they can come up with their own as you go. But that's creating awareness of routines. We have routines that we engage with every day. Every child does, but they might not be cognizant of it, that this is a routine. But it's validating those routines, and we do these things to get ready for bed. There's a purposefulness in what they do before bed. Something as simple as that can be reaffirmed by talking about it and having this dialogue following a book that talks about the theme of bedtime. It also, in a sense, emphasizes the importance of health maintenance. There's a reason that we brush our teeth before bed and we take a bath before bed. These subtle themes, such as bedtime, such as night routines, that you may feel silly discussing because they seem so obvious, that's still they're still there. They're still important. And having these silly conversations with your child are some of the most valuable because you're recognizing everyday happenings, but in the here and now, and giving your child a voice in validating all the things that they're doing. That 
concludes my reading strategies for Goodnight Moon. I hope you enjoyed this new take on a timeless novel. I only reviewed one book today. I might end up making that a routine thing for these book review episodes, only doing one instead of two. I haven't really decided yet, but we'll see how this goes. I think having to review only one book can be more manageable, not only for me, but for the listener and not be overwhelmed by too much information. With that said, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Definitely come back and listen for more. Maybe even make Goodnight Moon a part of your nighttime routine. Thank you for joining me on this episode and I hope to see you soon. Bye.